David Miliband is our guest on Personally Speaking. He's the president and CEO of the International Rescue Committee. Stay with us. to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Gimlisanti, and David Miliband joins me now. David is the president and CEO of the International Rescue Committee, where he oversees the IRC's humanitarian relief operations in more than 40 war-affected countries and its refugee resettlement and assistance programs in over 20 cities across the United States. David is a graduate of Oxford University and received a master's degree in political science from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, which he attended as a Kennedy Scholar. From 2007 to 2010, David was the Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs for the United Kingdom. President Bill Clinton described David Miliband as, quote, one of the ablest, most creative public servants of our time. He's the son of refugees, and he brings a personal commitment to the IRC's work. David is married to his wife, violinist Louise Shackleton, and together they have two sons. He's here with us to talk today about the humanitarian work of the International Rescue Committee and the values that matter most to him. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, David Miliband. David, first of all, I want you to know that for uh, many years, I'm a proud supporter of, of your organization. Oh, that's um, great. I, I believed in it, I, I love it, but for our listeners and viewers around the world, can you tell us what you do. I'm the president and CEO. I'm very proud to be the president and CEO of the International Rescue Committee, right. which is a global humanitarian charity and the largest refugee resettlement agency in the United States. We were founded by none other than Albert Einstein, probably America's most mm. famous refugee. Yes. He was a refugee from the Nazis in the US in the 1930s. When Hitler came to power, he, he was in America, actually. He never went back to, to Germany. And he became increasingly concerned about the fate of Jews, of persecuted minorities in Nazi-occupied Germany and Nazi-occupied Europe, and begged Franklin Roosevelt, the president at the time, to allow people to seek sanctuary here. And he felt so frustrated at the inability of his arguments to win the day that he set up the International Rescue Committee to help rescue people from oblivion. Wow. And uh, our first employee was a man called Varian Fry. He was a former New York Times journalist who set up a safe house in Marseille to issue fake passports. Um, uh, 2,000 people were saved thanks to his bravery entrepreneurship, including Marc Chagall, the very famous painter. Uh, and right. we honor that history today by being a humanitarian charity with a, a clear focus. We are focused on people whose lives are shattered by conflict, persecution, mm. or disaster. And that means that we work in conflict zones like Ukraine right. uh, today. We work for people who've been driven from their homes by conflict or disaster, mm. but still remain within their own country. So Syria, there are 7 million internally displaced people in Syria. We help them. Uh, we work for refugees, that's people who are 
fleeing for political reasons and cross a border, usually into a neighboring state. Hmm. So we, we work in countries like Jordan, uh, a close ally of the United States in the Middle East, where there are 650,000 refugees. We help support them. And then what, at the end of what we call the arc of crisis, from the war zone to refugee status to forging a new life, we're, we're a large refugee resettlement agency in the U.S. We also do some refugee resettlement and integration work in Germany and in the UK, actually. So we, are, we, are, we like to feel that we are an organization that has a clear sense of mission, that has a big heart. Yeah. But we also recognize the need to be hard-headed because if you try and do everything, you do nothing. Yeah, and we're absolutely. not a general anti-poverty agency. We're against poverty, but we're not an anti-poverty agency. We're, a, we're an agency that works to help people who are poor for a particular reason. And there are a reason, and that reason is to do with conflict, to do with prejudice, uh, to do with some of the most the baser elements of uh, the human condition that lead to some of the catastrophes that we see around the world. David, uh, to get uh, biblical for a moment, if I can, uh, that that section of Genesis where uh, uh, God's talking to Cain, "Am I my brother's keeper?" Because Abel is missing. I mention that because, um, in some ways, what you do in the International Rescue Committee is a uh, is is close to home for you too. Because I understand in your own background. There's a relative who was rescued during the Holocaust by Catholic Polish people who took uh, the step forward to be brave enough to care. Can you tell us a little bit about that history and why the Holocaust is a very personal thing for the Miliband family? Yeah, we're, um, as you can tell, um, you probably your first thought was probably given my accent that I'm from Brooklyn, but I'm not actually from. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not actually from Brooklyn. Um, I am. <laughs> I, I, I'm. Uh, I'm from the UK, obviously. Right. And both of my parents were refugees to the mm. UK. So I wouldn't be here if the UK had not admitted refugees in the 1940s and 50s. Wow. Um, my dad came uh, as a refugee in 1940 from Belgium. The Nazis invaded Belgium in May 1940, and he left with his dad. And he joined the Royal Navy, um, went to college, etc., made a new life in the UK. But his mother and his sister were uh, hidden, actually, by a Catholic farmer in south of Brussels. So there's a... Uh, and they survived the Holocaust there for three years living in this village in hiding. Wow. But my mother um, was uh, slightly older, so she was born in 1934 in Poland, in a town called Częstochowa, and a very famous town in the, for the, those of Catholic faith. And uh, she, uh, also Jewish like my dad, um, she uh, had to go into hiding uh, when the Nazis occupied. And um, she was hidden for part of her, um, part of the war in a convent. And then... Um, there was concern that she was going to be found out. So she was then reunited with her mother in Warsaw and then hidden by a Catholic family, actually. So I think that um, one of the lessons of history is about our duties to strangers. And yes. the uh, my, my family certainly benefited from the sense of commitment that can exist across religious lines because um, my family's Jewish, not Catholic. Uh, but the fact that people were willing to put their own lives on the line to 
save the lives of my uh, parents uh, is obviously very, very striking. Now, I don't do anything as brave as that mm. today, uh, but in a small way, the right. fact that I'm working on this must, or the fact that I get meaning from it has some <laughs> relationship to the family origins that we have. Now, for those who don't know, uh, David Miliband, aside from uh, heading up the International Rescue Commission Committee, pardon me, uh, also has always been in public service in one way or another as a member of parliament in England, as foreign secretary in a, a British government. This history of being in public service when with your talents and abilities, you could easily gone into the private sector and been usually successful. But where was the, the seed of public service planted in you? Well, that's a very uh, nice way of uh, putting it. I, I think that it must some way relate to my upbringing. I don't, I don't think it's genetic. It must be, uh, it must be something in my upbringing that said, if you can make a difference, you should. And if you don't make right. a difference, it's a waste. Mm -hmm. And I think that my, my dad and my mum were teachers. My mum was a high school teacher and then uh, uh, stopped being a teacher when she became a full-time mum. And then my dad was a university teacher. So there was, uh, I don't know if that, that, that's not public service in a, in a traditional way. Maybe it's not quite the same. And um, I guess that uh, in my upbringing, the values were measured in more than money we were we had the and that's that's a middle class thing because if you're mm. middle class you're insulated from the absence of money and you're not tempted by the surfeit of money right um so it's in the 1970s and 80s when i, I was born in 1965 and so in the 70s and 80s we were a middle-class family in a in a country that was struggling frankly the uk the 70s and the 80s weren't great decades for the uk at all but we were relatively insulated from economic hardship and so i think that maybe gave us the gave our family the cushion or the luxury if you like mm. of being able to think broadly about values and how you measure value and you don't just measure value by by money and uh, we have a phrase in um, the UK um, that you can um, know the cost uh, of some uh, people the danger of knowing the cost of something but the value of nothing right. and sometimes monetary indicators don't tell you everything and so I suppose there was a strong sense of wider values than individual values. But I think the other thing is that at some level, my parents must have inculcated the idea that you have a, you should look out for others as well as look out for yourself. Right. And that's quite an important part of public service. And uh, I wouldn't at all say that we or they were selfless. Mm. I don't think that, I think that would be a, a sort of an overclaim because I, I wouldn't want to, to put myself on a pedestal in that way. But we were brought up to think that it was important to think about others as well as yourself. Right. And so I guess that's where the public service thing comes in. I think it's well, also worth saying, though, that public service is 
fascinating, exciting, yes. interesting, challenging. Those are all great things. And so I don't feel that public service is somehow a sacrifice. It's public service, not public sacrifice. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I feel very lucky. I mean, the things that I've done, I was a member of parliament, was a foreign minister, secretary of state. I'm leading a lot of now a $1.3 billion a year charity. Mm. I mean, these are the things on my desk are really hard and I like hard problems. So I feel very lucky. I don't feel it's been a sacrifice to be in public service. I feel it's been a, a real blessing. David Miliband, President and CEO of the International Rescue Committee is our guest. Now, you know, the earlier in this interview, you mentioned all the trouble spots of the world uh, that you've been blessed, your organization, to help. But all those places that you mentioned, uh, especially we in America, have, have watched the video and we've seen the horrors. Um, we watched what's going on in Ukraine. We, we're amazed that in 2022 this kind of thing can go on, the slaughter of innocent people. We see what ISIS did. But my point and my question would be, when you head up an organization that's there to help people, but we're living in a world where man's inhumanity to man is always still striking, still shocking, are you ever overwhelmed? with sadness, discouragement at the state of humanity? Well, I think that one can look at the statistics and get depressed, but mm. you have to look at the people to have hope. And yes. one of the things that I know from government is that if you're in government, the great benefit is you can see the big picture, but the great danger is that you lose sight of the individuals. Mm. If you're running an NGO, there's no chance that you'll lose sight of the individuals because yeah. You're there at the front line. The big danger is that you lose sight of the big picture. Mm -hmm. And so I see what I'm doing now as looking from the other end of the telescope. If you're in government, you're looking from one end of the telescope, you see the big picture. If you're looking from an NGO, you're looking from the other end of the telescope, you look, you, you see the individuals. And it wasn't me who came up with the phrase, look at the statistics, you get depressed, look at the people and you have hope. Uh, it wasn't a theologian either. I'm sorry to disappoint you. It was a... <laughs> A camera crew that went to the Democratic Republic of Congo and they came away saying that and it's really stuck with me and while our clients are resilient courageous able to smile even amidst the horror then I feel we don't have much right uh, whether we're on the Upper West Side or the Lower West Side <laughs> to get to, to feel that sense of, of being overwhelmed. And I, I think if, you, if, you, if you'll permit me to slightly go on in this answer, right. the, uh, I quote often uh, the Pope, Pope Francis, mm -hmm. who had this very, very striking, I'm not just saying this because it's you who's interviewing me. Right, right. Um, he went to Lampedusa, yes. which is an island off the coast of Italy, where very large numbers of so quote-unquote migrants had died mm -hmm. falling out of boats or in sinking boats in 2014-15 if you remember that was the height of the syrian refugee crisis right and pope francis said that what he was seeing there was the globalization of indifference yes. which in a way is your question albeit if i may say so expressed in an extremely pithy and yeah. challenging way. What a brilliant phrase, or what a brilliant accusation that yeah. the world was suffering from the globalization of indifference. Globalization, because he saw it 
on a global scale, indifference because it was the most basic thing that people were. I mean, it's, it's the ultimate. It's, it's the first first um, philosophical first first philosophy one hundred one is well, if you see a drowning man or a drowning woman, you pull them out of the sea. Right. And so, what greater indifference could there be than people are being allowed to drown now? When I talk about this phrase, I talk about the power of it and the challenge of it and the importance of it. But I also then say, and I don't know if I'm allowed to do this on your podcast. You, I'm not sure if one's allowed to argue with Pope. But um, one of the things I say is, re- are people suffering from the globalization of indifference? Have they lost their heart? Or is it more that they don't know how to make a difference? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's very important to me about the International Rescue Committee, and you referred to seeing videos of suffering, one of the mm. things that's very important to me is that we are an NGO that talks about solutions, not just about suffering. Mm-hmm. Because if you just talk about suffering, you contribute, I think, to the globalization of indifference. If you talk about solutions, you then give a sense that, well, okay, there's agency. If I'm a voter, I can use my voice. If I'm a citizen, I can use my voice. If I'm an employer, I can give people a job or a job interview. If I'm financially blessed, I can make a donation. If I've got other connections, I can make a difference. If I'm just a person, I can go and be a buddy for a refugee who's arriving in New York or wherever. And so one of the things about that I I feel very strongly for the International Rescue Committee, and I I feel very strongly for charities generally, is that they can often, they think they can raise quick money through mm-hmm. videos of suffering. But actually, what they've got to do is speak to, yes, the needs, but also to the solutions. Yeah. And that's what we try to do in the 200 field sites, 35 countries that we work in with now 20,000 employees, maybe more, mm. and about 20,000 day volunteers who we pay to support us each day, uh, but aren't formal volunteers. and. At, our approach, I mean, your listeners and viewers can go to rescue.org, and I hope they will to learn more about it. Um, we try to be, to give voice to what's seen and heard by our staff and felt by our clients, but we try and do so in a way that speaks to solutions, not just to suffering. I really apologize. That was an extremely long That's all right. was, answer. Right, so no, no, no. I was right on target, and I'm so delighted that you brought up my friend Pope Francis because even in the Catholic community sometimes I'll have people who say I'm not sure I like him he's too liberal you know he's so pro-immigrant pro-refugee and I'll say that's not about liberal or conservative it's about being first of all Christ-like and on top of which being human and, uh, and so I'm, I'm glad to hear you speak kindly of him and that was early in his pontificate which I think was on purpose to say this is not a problem the world can ignore all right now I'm going to humanize you for a second if I can and just Every- before just one, yes. one thing for any of your I don't know if you've got doubting uh, parishioners, but uh, <laughs> if, if you've got any doubting parishioners, he didn't just say it at the beginning. What's what's very striking, and I think this is very important, is that he's kept up the drumbeat. Yes. He then invites people in to live with him. Mm-hmm. He then goes uh, to Libya. He yes, then, yes. when he went, I think then he spoke out, maybe he spoke out about the Ukraine war, but he also, I think, spoke out about the Rohingya Muslims who were driven out of yes. Myanmar and went into... Uh, Bangladesh and the point that these are people Mm. it doesn't matter whether they're Muslim or Catholic Mm -hmm. or Jewish or you name it that is very human and very powerful I think and the fact that he's oh yeah he's that guy who goes on about the (laughs) dignity of the 
uh, of the stateless and the those without uh, without a country to call home. That's really, I think that's important. Sorry to interrupt you. No, that's okay. David Miliband is not only a great humanitarian, but he's also part of a family. So here's where I want to uh, humanize you a bit. Every weekend when I do weddings, I, I ask the couple first, tell me why, of the billion people out there, why is this the one you decided to build a life with? Uh, your life is not just the International Rescue Committee. It's also life with Louise. So why did you marry Louise? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I was going to be asked that. Oh, she's the most wonderful person I've ever met. And so from the moment I saw her smile, I knew that she was a wonderful person. Wow. And we met on a plane, actually. So that's not a particularly romantic, um, not right. a particularly romantic place to uh, meet. So I'm very, very lucky to have met. Uh, Louise, I mean, it's total serendipity. I wasn't meant to be on that plane, so yeah. uh, someone was looking after us. And the uh, she's she plays the violin. She's a violinist ah. of the London Symphony Orchestra, and she's an extraordinary mum. And so I'm very very lucky to have uh, met her. And why could take many podcasts, but uh, that's a summary. Someday I must have Louise on to ask, why David, you know? Yeah, well, I think that's a much more difficult question to answer. I think that would be, she, she, that's much harder to answer. You know, I have uh, tons of parents and grandparents who uh, watch and listen to a show like this. I don't claim to believe that you and Louise have the answer to everything, but uh, any insights into how parents are to pass on values that matter to the children they love? I think that's very hard. Um, mm. We've got two kids and we do our best. And I think that you've got to try and be your best self as a, as a parent. It's the hardest job in the world. Um, you've got, you, you want your kids to be independent. You want your kids to flourish according to their own lights, but you want to protect them from their own lights and protect them from their own uh, disasters. Mm -hmm. yes. And so I think that's, um, Parenting is a is a long and hard journey, and it's never over. I, I didn't have David Miliband on only because he's one of the most highly articulate people you ever hear, but I, I wanted our listeners and viewers to uh, be moved to do something about supporting the International Rescue Committee. So, uh, David, once again, for folks who want to do something, uh, how can we support your organization? Thanks very much. Well, I hope that people can learn. I mean, uh, an extraordinary... Um, uh, British rabbi Jonathan Sachs said that if you want to defend a country, you form an army. If you want to build a civilization, you need education. And so yeah. the first thing to do is always to learn. And so I hope people will go to rescue.org, www.rescue.org, and they will get a chance to learn about what we're doing locally. We're in 25 US cities, uh, helping to resettle refugees, including new cities in Louisville, Kentucky, um, and in Des Moines, Iowa. And we're in cities large and small, New York, L.A., but Boise, Idaho, Wichita, Kansas. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, learn about what we're doing in the U.S. or learn about what we're doing abroad. I mean, we, you can see videos about what our staff and our clients think in Ukraine. Yes. In Ukraine, we're in the center, in the east. We won't tell you on the website where we are because we're concerned about the security of our sure. staff. But we will tell you that we're distributing cash so that people can help mm -hmm. support themselves because the economy is functioning. We're, we're supporting healthcare and we're supporting child protection. So, and, and, and um, helping women who've suffered from gender-based violence or people trafficking. Uh, so we'll explain that. So learn about what we're doing. Uh, secondly, I think it would be great if um, 
any of you have got time could buddy and support some of the refugees who are arriving in the United States mm-hmm. and help them make a success of their new lives. We, we need volunteers in our U.S. network. We don't really send people abroad to be volunteers, we, but we will welcome volunteers in the U.S. Um, thirdly, I hope that if there are employers listening, they will think about making an effort to give these people a job mm-hmm. interview. I can never say to someone, give them a job, because it's got to be the right person. They've got to earn it. Right, right. But give them an interview. Give them a chance to, to do it. I think, uh, for thirdly, um, please please use your voice. Mm. The, the, the refugee resettlement program and support for refugees has historically been bipartisan in America. When I came here, people said to me, don't worry, it's not a political thing. This President Ronald Reagan let in more refugees than any other American <laughs> president. And he was on the right, obviously. So this is not a left-right thing, yes. but it's become a bit of a political football, and it doesn't need to. Uh, it shouldn't be a political football because uh, we're talking about America making its contribution, but also these people making their contribution to America. Which um, is a country that has thrived off off the, off the openness to to them, um, and they are very. It's harder to get to America as a refugee than any other route, yes. so they're vetted to the gills, etc., uh, etc. Et oh. And then uh, finally, uh, I mean, God and Mammon don't mix, but I've been in New York for long enough that uh, I'm allowed to say, if you're able to financially support <laughs> our work, right. we'd love you to financially support our. Work. You very kindly said at the beginning that you're a supporter of yes. uh, of the IRC, so am I. And I think that we promise that we'll put your money to good use because this is a time when we need to grow our services. I wish it wasn't true, but we've gone from being a $400 million organization eight years ago to being a $1.3 billion organization today. And that's because we're, we're getting better at what we do, yeah. but we're also needed more than ever. And that's not a great thing. We, we don't particularly want to be a growth industry. I want to thank David Miliband for being with us, and I want to ask our viewers and listeners to please support the International Rescue Committee. David, I do every week as well funerals, and very often people ask in a family of the deceased, I want to know, did my mother, father, sister, brother, did their life have meaning? And I often say, if they left the world a better place, then they have found their meaning. Uh, And that's what you're doing, and that's what International Rescue Committee is doing, and that's what all of us can do by participating. So keep on keeping on, and thank you for your own witness, and uh, to our listeners and viewers, get involved. And thank you so much for being with us, David. Thank you very much indeed. I really appreciate it. I want to thank you all for being with us on our program today. If you'd like to reach me or have questions or comments, please write to personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also get past episodes by going to YouTube, searching under Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Santi, and please don't forget to click like and subscribe. Personally Speaking is also available as a podcast on personallyspeakingpodcast.buzzsprout.com. We're also on Facebook at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Santi, and we're also now on Instagram at Personally Speaking Podcast. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, Personally Speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandovitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.